Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. Here we go, Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to SST on Apple Podcasts, App, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate you the same. One of my favorite episodes of the year. I probably say that more than uh, I should because there's so many great episodes throughout the year. This one's special, and we have a special guest, first timer on the podcast, joining me to talk NBA Draft past a uh, couple years we've known each other now we've had these lengthy conversations on the phone on zoom offline off the podcast we said this year let's just do it on the pod that's glenn johnson my old co-worker what's up brother yes pete thanks for having me it's a dream come true honestly uh i was just a casual listener of subway sports talk uh, and now I'm on the podcast. I'd like to give a special shout out to the Make-A-Wish Foundation that made this dream come <laughs> true of mine. Uh, I wouldn't be here without them. There you go. Uh, I, you know what, though? You could, in theory, be like a founding member of Subway Sports Talk. Like somewhere you get a credit point because you were there for the original ma- machinations. Is that the right word there? Of, yeah, of the name I don't want to take too much credit, but I think Subway was one of the words that I thought of. Yeah, I think it was because we were we were talking, we were in your old office. Shout out to Brody, before yeah. the move, before the moves, before the COVID. And I'm like, yo, I need to come up with a new name. I got nothing, blah blah blah. And we start spitballing. You you might have gotten Subway. Out I, there. I was I think originally I was thinking Subway Sports Show, and then it was SSS, and then, but no, I'm happy where it's come. SST uh, sounds great. I, like you have conversations about sports on the subway, so yeah. and it's. Uh, it's not just New York, but it's definitely a reference to New York for sure. There so you it go. Kind of keeps you founded at your roots. Exactly, and uh, with that, I hope people are actually back on the subway now, listening to podcasts because that used to be huge. I don't work in Old Manhattan anymore, but I do commute again now. Thank, thankfully, I'm back into a real world swing of things, so I listen to stuff on my commute. And I used to rip podcasts in the subway all the time, and I'm sure many people do the same. So hopefully, right now, as somebody listens to our NBA draft preview here. Someone's on the subway and he's like, huh? What's that, uh, the Leonardo DiCaprio meme when he's pointing at the TV? Ah, subway. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> this is what's happening right now. <laughs> no, I definitely miss the subway rides and listen to, like, that's where I listen to podcasts, new music, all that stuff. And now I have to, like, go out of my way in my, like, working at home environment to, like, mm-hmm. listen to podcasts. It's a different, different thing. It's a totally different vibe. You know, when you're on the subway, you're on the bus, you have nothing else to worry about. It's wonderful. Right now, for the next hour or so, we have nothing else to worry about uh, other than the NBA draft. And that's exciting because the NBA draft is always exciting. We're going to talk about, obviously, the big names, the names that round out the lottery. We're going to try to do one more episode later in the week to talk more about, maybe specifically more about the Knicks, more about some of the later guys in the draft and what we hear uh, throughout you know, the rumor mill, free agency, other trades of that nature. We'll talk more about that on Wednesday. Today, Glenn and I, we're going to focus on the more lottery-driven talent, obviously the big four or five, depending on how you look at this draft, you know, Cade Cunningham and the rest of that crew. And uh, I think we could also make some some uh, comparisons to last year's draft to see where we maybe got stuff right, what we could have learned from, from last year's draft. So, Glenn, let's kind of start there. 
Um, the, the way a lot of people are talking about this draft here is that it's an amazing draft, that there's a lot of talent, despite it being a little bit top-heavy. I think, generally speaking, people are speaking positively about this draft. I would like to maybe put a different spin on that, but I'll let you go first, because last year's draft, all we heard about how there was not a ton of talent, there wasn't much high-end talent, and we sit back here one year later, and we might be able to say, there was more talent than maybe we gave it credit for last year. So where do you land on this year in comparison to last year and kind of both of those things? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think the class of 2020 or the 2021 draft has been hyped for a couple of years now. Uh, it is interesting to see how some of the top prospects pan out because some of these really high recruits that went into college that people thought were going to be top five selections. We can dive into that later but think like Brandon Boston from Kentucky like people thought he was a surefire top five pick didn't have a great year Kentucky battled some injuries efficiency problems and now he's a a fringe uh, first round second round pick um but don't get me wrong this class uh has three or four guys at the top that uh in a normal year or a, a, an off year would be surefire number one overall picks um but I think last year we, we've talked about this before Pete like yeah, it might have not been star heavy at the top. Uh, I think it's looking great with Anthony Edwards, LaMelo Ball. Um, the, the jury's still out on Wiseman. Uh, Yoneko Kongu is someone who I'm a big fan of and got some good minutes for the Hawks, even in the playoffs, uh, which is pretty remarkable for a rookie. Uh, but I think it was really unique last year just because you had a lot of guys that are going to be great off the bench, 3 and D wings, 3 and D forwards. Uh, look at Sadiq Bey. Um, Isaiah Stewart, both on Detroit. Um, there's some, some guys that are really going to be able to contribute. Are they going to lead a team? No. Uh, but they're definitely going to play uh, significant roles uh, on teams. Absolutely. And even guys like who you and I were screaming about last year before the draft, Tyrese Halliburton, and you even get into yep. uh, some other people like our boy Emmanuel Quickly, who came out there in the mid-20s and showed out uh, for New York this year one of the the better stories as far as rookies are concerned uh, last year. Even guys like Jaden McDaniels, who, you know, nobody was really talking about, you know, maybe deep cut basketball fans were talking about during the season. But if you did watch the Minnesota Timberwolves last year, that guy popped off the screen. So those guys existed. There's probably more talent uh, from last year's draft than we expected. And that's a good thing. And now we have to find some of those guys in this year's draft because I think it's so easy to look at the top five or six and be like, those guys are mostly all surefire things. But what happens after that in those picks between eight and 18 for that matter, things can get very weird in this 2021 draft. So we'll try to navigate that in a little bit, but in reality, there's really one place to start here and that's the top of the draft. So it's kind of like a rite of passage, I guess, to start with this question. Do you have Cade Cunningham number one? Does that, does, is that the only way to start this conversation as well, Glenn? Because yep, no you, other way. You're obviously um, you're tuned into you know you obviously your own research, but I know you're listening to other pods, you're reading things. It seems like that's the only place to start this conversation, right? Yeah, and I'm a big fan of Mike Schmitz on ESPN and uh, Draft Express, and he was on I think Sports Center earlier today. He's like ten times out of ten, Kate. Like no hesitation. I don't know why the Pistons are. Uh, pretending like they they don't know who it is uh it might be to try to spark some trade interest who knows um but now Cade coming Cunningham's surefire number one 
Yeah, I tend to agree with you. And there's there's always something every single year where, you know, you want to be different or you want to push back. You want to be more interesting as you are a, you know, voice in the world of NBA media, podcasters, radio hosts, TV hosts, whatever. They're going to want to do something, right? But I don't even think the push for Jalen Green or Evan Mobley has gotten hard enough where in years past, we've seen it probably push even harder, right? You know, Anthony Edwards last year, he said something about how basketball is not the the be-all, end-all in his life or something along those lines. And everybody started freaking out, like, this guy doesn't even care about basketball. And then, yeah, was he the most efficient player or was he the most perfect rookie player in the league? No, but clearly that guy was playing hard, busting his ass, and he's probably on his way to a really good career. So that maybe that was a little bit of an overlook. Maybe people were getting uh, ahead of themselves with something like that. We haven't heard that with Cade. If anything, and this is probably a, a pat on the back to the media, I don't think people have been trying to rip Cade down to put other people up. They've actually just been trying to hype up Evan Mobley and Jalen Green and maybe even Jalen Suggs in some instances, which is positive. You kind of don't expect that. Usually it's like, oh, we have to rip down the guy on top just so we can put someone else up. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I feel like the Jalen Green push in the last week has been remarkable. Um, going back to K2, just like one thing in my notes is uh, I like to do player comps. I like to do best fits for teams. And for Kate, I had like best fit, like Houston, Detroit. And then I was like, dot, 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 legit any team. He, he can fit on any team. And I truly mean that. Uh, he can, he can uh, be a high volume scorer on a team that is towards the bottom of the league who needs a score. But then a team that has established players, he can fit well and contribute there as well. Um, so I know Detroit selected a point guard with their first, uh, first round pick last year, but that shouldn't stop them from going with, uh, Cade number one this year. 100%. The big thing about Cade Cunningham is his floor is so high. You can argue about his ceiling. Like if you think he's out here and he's going to be an all NBA guy in, in two years, maybe that's lofty. Maybe that's a little bit too aggressive for him, but to, to say that he's definitely going to be a positive impactful starting player, borderline all-star as his floor, I think that's extremely fair. And the best thing about him, in my opinion, is his pace of play on the offensive side of the ball. He does, I mean, he's not an explosive athlete. That's the same thing that happened with Luka Doncic a couple years back. It's like, oh, what's he going to do against NBA athletes? He's not that fast. He doesn't have hops. I actually think Cade is slightly better athlete than Luka. But Defin- they still play so similar. Definitely a better athlete, but also not as big. He's not as uh, chonky as our boy Luca out here. He ain't throwing that ass around like Luca is. But he he just moves at his own pace. And, and I don't even like to use someone like James Harden as a comp, but I used it for Luca because of that exact thing. Of they slow down on their way to the lane under control, but by slowing down or speeding up at the right moment, they actually make the def- defense do what they want them to do. And that's what I see with Cade. It's the most impressive part of his game. Absolutely. And that's why Trey Young's effective. Yeah. It's, that's a good point. Because you know what? With Trey Young, you don't think of it. Because you just think of how quick he is. How quick those feet get going for that little guy. But realistically, his change his pace, of speed. Which is faster than Luka's. But again, it's getting the defenses to attempt to play at his pace. Right. And, and the change of speed. So I love that with Cade Cunningham. He gets into the lane. He slows it down. He makes the right passes. He's a very willing passer. His shot looks good. There's really not much more to ask. The only question I will ask you, how do you see him as a defender? Because there's that little bit of an issue, perhaps, if he has to match up on a smaller, quicker guard, perhaps like a Trey Young. That could be a tough one for him because he's a little bit bigger, a little bit slower. 
but I imagine he'll be very easy to move around between positions one, two, and three, no? Yeah, I, I think you answered your own question there. Since yeah, sorry. he can move around, <laughs> uh, hypothetically, let's say you're like he's six eight. Uh, if they're shooting guard six four, six five, you switch him. Um, right. But I don't think he'll have issues keeping up point guards. Anyone struggles with Trey Young, but he, he can keep up with everyone. He has long arms. Um, people don't really talk about Luca's defense, and I think he has better defense than Luca. So right. um, he'll he'll be fine. Yeah, I think I think so too. So this is where the draft really becomes interesting because all the reports, all the feelings, everybody from Mike Schmitz to P. Kennedy and Glenn Johnson on Subway Sports Talk believe it's about as surefire as possible that Cade will be number one to Detroit. And now it gets really interesting. And we're not going to do a whole speculation on what possible trades could happen, but just to keep it in our heads, you know, you got to watch out for Oklahoma City because they got mm-hmm. all the picks. But in regards to what Houston does at two and then Cleveland does at three, this is where it gets super interesting. Is it Mobley? Is it Green? Is it Suggs? Who's your number two? And maybe if the answer is different, do you think, or who do you think the pick will be at number two? Because those don't have to be the same. Your two and the two. Absolutely. Uh, As you mentioned, this is where it gets interesting. And uh, I do have a difference of who I think is number two and who I think will go number two. Uh, I, I love Evan Mobley. Um, he's my number two overall prospect, the big out of USC. You can play him at center. You can play him at power forward. Um, if you have either of those positions filled already, uh, he can switch on anyone. He has perimeter game, uh, offensively and defensively. Um, he can truly guard one through five if he has to. Like, imagine if the Suns had him instead of Andre Drummond on these switches uh, against the Bucks. Like, that, that's like what they wish Drummond could do. Right. Uh, excuse me, not Drummond. Uh, DeAndre Ayton. Yeah, there you go. Um, also, also to whoever... Switch, like, also, local. whatever team has Drummond wishes they had someone else too. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, just like watching the finals, I was like, they would love uh, Evan Mobley. Obviously, just comparatively body types to Giannis right now, he he's a lot lighter and would get pushed around, but he's the type of guy that teams love because he can switch on to anyone. Um, but that's like why I like him at two is because like he can contribute to any team as well. Similar to Cade. Um, if teams need him to score, he can, um, he's going to defend regardless. Um, but if he doesn't need to score, he doesn't need to, he's a great offensive rebounder. As I mentioned, he stretches the floor. Um, so that's why he's my number two pick, but I do think Houston, um, is going to go with Jalen green, um, which, I think Cade coming like I think Houston wants like they've already mentioned that they want to trade up to one like Cade Cunningham to me is like a perfect fit in Houston just like he's from the area, um, but I do think they'll go Jalen Green. They need scoring. Um, Christian Wood is kind of similar to Evan Mobley. Evan Mobley reminds me of like a Chris Bosh, AD, uh, a better Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, but I think Jalen Green just is probably going to be Houston's pick. That's interesting. I've heard the rumblings or the ideas of Evan Mobley playing next to Christian Wood and how that could work. Because then when you get to Cle- It could. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, it could work because of probably what Evan Mobley does defensively as a versatile guy. But Christian Wood's pretty versatile as well. And it's, it's interesting that you say that because when Cleveland gets to pick next, they're now, if they're drafting Mobley, thinking about playing him next to Jared Allen. So they both kind of have that that thing where there's another big there already who they like who, and they're definitely invested in Christian Wood yet. They're not technically invested in Jared Allen right now, but he is a restricted free agent. Yeah. So you expect them to be invested in him soon. 
but Mobley is that versatile guy who can do both a little bit. He can kind of probably downsize to a four, and he can definitely upsize. Not that he needs to play bigger than he is. He's seven freaking feet tall, but he can obviously play center as well. The one question I have about Evan Mobley, uh, I like that he plays calm. I really do, especially offensively. You know, he's calm with the ball in his hands. He doesn't rush. He has good hands. He gets to his spots. He can do more than uh, just rim run, obviously. he's Honestly, that's probably what he needs more help with is rim running. He's more uh, comfortable with a, a few feet, maybe a little hook shots, a little runners, the push shots. Obviously, he can step back and shoot a little bit. I think he'll definitely benefit from the spacing in the NBA, where in college it's yep. just so gross in there sometimes. In the paint, there's no space. There's no room for shooters. There's no one, uh, no space for people to attack the basket. I think he'll benefit from that. But sometimes he seems like a bit passive to me. Is that me taking his calmness and just twisting it negatively? Like, what do you think? Why do you think I feel that way when I watch him sometimes? I feel like he's just a little bit too calm, not in the sense like Cade Cunningham is. I think, like, he, he's never needed to be the number one scorer, which for the most part, you're not getting out of your bigs unless you have like a Shaquille O'Neal in college type of situation. Um, but I think that what really makes him special. Like um, to me, it's going off your question a little bit, but my comps are, as I mentioned, Anthony Davis for Mobley and Zach Levine for Jalen Green. And who do you want on your team? When they're both healthy. Yeah, and- no, of course you're right. It'd be Anthony Davis. I mean, that's, yeah, if I, that's if I agree with your comps. Obviously, Anthony Davis <laughs> turned into a fantastic scorer, but early on in his career, he was – he yes, he did score, but it was 10 rebounds, what, like two, three blocks a game. Um, and then when he's needed to score a couple years in his career, he's done that, uh, rather than someone who just brings you volume scoring like a Zach Levine. I, I agree. If I, if I agreed with your comps, I would agree with you. I don't know if I love the Zach Levine comp for Jalen Green. I think I I definitely get it. Like I understand why that's the popular comp to go for because he's so Brad Beal. he's so he's so bouncy and he's definitely a guy who's ready to rip shots. Like he he has not met many shots he doesn't like. That guy is ready to let it fly. So I get that part of it. I do think Jalen Green is a more willing passer at this stage in his career. Like just watching all the G League highlights that you could on him on YouTube, like he's ready to make passes and he makes good passes a lot, sometimes a little bit reckless passing. But I honestly, I'd rather my guy take some reckless passes if they're going to work out a little bit. And maybe, you know, you, you fight the turnover game a little bit to show that he has that willingness to make plays without shooting, without just scoring. So I think he's steps ahead of Zach Levine in that regard, which is why I like him a little better. And I don't love that comp. I guess though, we do have a better connotation with Zach Levine today than we did Obviously, like three years ago. So it's tough. So here's my next question for you because... Now, actually, let's talk about the next guy and then I'll ask my my follow-up question of the overarching theory stuff here because it really does get interesting with these player types that we have in the top four, especially the ones after Cade Cunningham because Cade's kind of that fluid. He's a one, he's a two, he's a three. He could maybe be a four guy. So he kind of doesn't count. But between Mobley, Green, and now I assume Suggs is four for you. Absolutely. So Jalen Suggs is more of a pure pure point guard who can score as well. Talk about Jalen Suggs and uh, what you like about him because then I have an overarching theory question for you. Yeah. Uh, in most years, like Jalen Suggs would be a number one pick as well. And uh, like I really do like him probably even overgreen just for like the type of players I personally like. Uh, but I understand like Jalen Green's scoring ability is, is truly remarkable. 
Um, I just love like Jalen Suggs is a freaking winner. Like he's super competitive, brings it on offense, defense in the clutch. You saw some of the shots he had at Gonzaga in the tournament. Insane was a highly recruited quarterback, just like has the smarts. Um, he just brings it across the board. Um, and again, I think it's a guy that absolutely can score, but just contri- like similar to Mobley contributes in just so many other ways that he can benefit pretty much most teams. Right. I'm a hundred percent. He just does it. He does it all. He's ready to do whatever it takes on top of having awesome skill sets. Like he can shoot, he can hit floaters, he can hit the mid range, which obviously isn't the most popular shot in the world of analytics, but we just saw a Phoenix Sun team make it to the finals off the mid range. Really? Even though once the corner threes for them kind of got taken out, those mid rangers from CP and Devin didn't seem as special. They were special because of the high uh, efficiency they shot those ones with. But Jalen Green has it all, all three levels. He can get to the free throw line. He can shoot the three. He can play make. He's incredible. So what are the odds? If you had a pie, a little pie chart, right? And let's just say it's these four players, because I, th- I personally think mm-hmm. that that's tier one. I think most people are in lockstep with that. You can talk about Scotty Barnes, Kaminga, whatever. We'll get to those guys in a minute. I think that's the big four, right? Do you agree with that? Mm-hmm. If you if you had to disperse the pie of per, like odds, this person player X would become the best player in this draft. How would you disperse those percentages? Hmm. It's on the spot. I know, but just think no, of- not not to be like too deep and philosophical, but I feel like it just depends on how you define like the best player. I'm like, saying I know you don't. I know you don't agree with the comps, but like is Zach Levine scoring thirty points a game or Brad Beal scoring? 30 points a game, two years in a row. Does that make him a better player? Or are you saying someone who contributes to a winning basketball team? I think both. I think both. Russell Westbrook, like if one of these players turned into Russell Westbrook, never wins a championship, uh, doesn't contribute to teams making it deep in the playoffs. Are they the best? Like, I know he has his records in triple doubles. Right, right, right. Okay. So this is how I'll define it for you. I'll say if, so, for example, if Jalen Suggs goes to a team at four where he averages 15, you know, seven and five, very solid numbers, he's a key contributor, but he does not sniff in all-star games. He's not sniffing all NBA teams. And meanwhile, you know, Cade Cunningham is on a team that's decent and not as good as Jalen Suggs' teams, but he's averaging 28 all-NBA guy every year. You know, Cade Cunningham is probably a better player, right? So you got to yeah. like, com- kind of yeah. com- combine the two. So Suggs gets the boost from his team being better, but is he not the guy carrying it? You know, you got to kind of look at it because it, it, say Jalen Suggs is playing alongside of, uh, say he gets to the Toronto, right? And Toronto rebuilds it real hot and they become a great team quicker than anyone else. Like, are we going to give it all to Suggs or it, dep- it depends, right? So try to balance both. I love team success. It's most important. But if one guy's an all-NBA guy and the other guy's just a good starter, it's not the same. Yeah, I think best players wise, I think I'll give it like a fifty percent chance that Cade Cunningham out of them four is the best, like that has the best career. Um, I think I'll go. I'll, I'll go the Jalen's at twenty percent each, and then Mobley at ten percent. Mm. Um, just again, I think Mobley could have a tremendous contributing career. Um, but might might be one of those guys that just never gets the full recognition. 
That is extremely interesting that you went that way because it brings me to my next question. When you think about player uh, prototypes and the draft and try to put away like team need for the moment because when you're picking top five, you're kind of not thinking team need. Usually you're just trying to get the best possible player for your team, right? Unless you just drafted Zion Williamson, you're not going to draft another guy who's no one's like him, but you get what I'm trying to say. Um, So take away team need. Just think about player prototype and then player success in the league. You obviously have the point forward style, Kate Cunningham, who is, so hard to find, hard to come by. Wing size, guard skill He's not a set. point forward. He's, he's, a, he's point a point guard. guard. I know, but he's like yeah. the size of a forward, which is why I say yeah. that. Um, so then you have Mobley, who's the center, who is technically a stretch center who can protect the rim. He's probably the center you want. Then you have the scoring guy with some playmaking upside, Jalen Green, and you got the pure point guard in Jalen Suggs. How do you even look at those prototypes, and where do you, how much weight do you put that put into those uh, prototypes when you're thinking about ranking these prospects? Like, do you think a uh, pure point guard ranks much higher than a center like Evan Mobley just in general, almost taking the names out of it? Yeah. It's, it's like a, a playmaking scoring wing lead or not. I should re reorder those words. It's a scoring and playmaking wing lead. Uh, the teams that are at the top always have one of those, whether it's KD LeBron, um, I, I know Luca technically isn't a wing, but uh, like a mid-height guy that that can score and play make Kawhi. Um, Kawhi, absolutely. Um, so I think that's why like Cade is one. Jalen Green is not a huge wing, but is still like like a, a scoring like not to compare him to Kobe, but like Kobe size in scoring um, from that position. Um, and that's why I think Suggs would be three and then Mobley would be four. And that's even with you kind of thinking that Mobley should go second. Is that what you said before? Yeah. Which isn't that kind of interesting though? Cause I feel, I, I feel the exact same goes way. To, I think Mobley can help most teams win too, but if he's the sole guy, like imagine Anthony Davis on the Pelicans by himself. We, it, who, who, <laughs> what did that look like? Yeah, it wasn't yeah. good. It wasn't that good. I know. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I agree, and I think about that all the time when you see, like, top 10 lists in the NBA, top 10 players. Anthony Davis, a lot of times, not maybe right right now, has been very high on those lists. And I'm always like, listen, I get it. Like, that dude is insane. He's off the charts, talented, all this stuff. But I would just pick one of these wings over him every time. Like, I would pick Kawhi, you know, obviously KD, LeBron were always above him. But the people who are even below KD and LeBron – even like a Paul George, when he was more at the peak of his powers and not yeah. this pandemic P guy in, in the past years, I would have considered taking a guy like him over Anthony Davis because we saw what those wings can do in the playoffs and what Paul George has done in various playoffs, including the most recent one, by the way. He's done, yeah, if you he don't some have one, pretty then, impressive stuff. Then right. you hope you can draft one into them. But if you already have one, that's why, like, if you have a, a scoring wing, that's why Evan Mobley can help any team that already has a scoring wing. Right. Yeah, but if he's the guy by himself, he's not going to be able to do a ton to have you be a winning playoff basketball team. And then a lot of people like to say, and I'm glad you said scoring and playmaking wing type player because I I could not agree more. It's really easy, however, for people to say, "Oh, it's a point guard league. You need a point guard. You need a bit of a. It's a point guard. Look at all the point guards in this league. 
Yeah, look at all the point guards in this league who don't win anything, right? Like, there's so many talented point guards like De'Aaron Fox out here who can't even sniff the playoffs because there's so many point guards. Now, granted, Mr. Knicks fan over here, I would kill somebody for De'Aaron Fox because we haven't had a good point guard in my lifetime. But Point guard would be my second position after that wing. So you would you rank it that wing, that wing? We know about that wing. We want one of those wings, right? And then point guard, and then rim protector, and then, then Cade, you get Cade, shooting. though, I would put in that box of scoring playmaking wing, Same. even though technically he's a point guard. Same. That's why I kind of called him a point forward before. Jalen Green, though, like, I don't think Devin Booker is the best comparison, but imagine Jalen or Devin Booker when he was on the Suns without any help. That could very well be Jalen Green. Right. I agree. So, uh, so like He's right. going to score, but... So I was just thinking about this all throughout the playoffs. And this is a quick tangent off the off the side here. Devin Booker, I don't know how much he got better or how much he changed in the past year or from last year's bubble to the end of this year when the finals run. I don't know how much he changed or got better. That team got a lot better. And now people are like, oh, Devin Booker's like a top 10 player, top 15 player. I'm like... Well, he didn't get better. Maybe but he's the, team the same got guy. Better, so now you can rank him higher because he does do remarkable things. Right. But now his team's winning basketball, but not necessarily tied to him. Right. And that doesn't mean that Mikel Bridges is better than Devin Booker because he's the guy who helped boost them up. Chris Paul is probably better than Devin Booker right now because he is the guy who actually boosts them. You know what I mean? But it just, it kind of, it kind of blows my mind sometimes when people like to jump to conclusions about players like that. Devin Booker got this huge boost, even though he was doing the same stuff. He did when his team sucked. Same exact stuff. In fact, his shooting numbers actually got worse this year. Just saying. I don't know why I'm I'm shitting on Devin Booker all of a sudden, so let's move on. He got to come off the court, though, so it was like his team could actually continue scoring with him off the court this year. Right. Not to go into that huge tangent. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, let's get back on track here. So, okay. Cade, Mobley, Green, Suggs. You kind of have to have it in that order, or those four in some order, uh, if you had an argument for one guy to be number one over Cade Cunningham, Cade Cunningham, who would it be? If you had, if you're, if say you were the GM of the Pistons and your owner was like, Cade Cunningham uh, cursed me out in the parking lot, we're not picking him. You got to pick someone else. Who are you taking? Oh, I guess if if I was Detroit, yeah, if you're Detroit. Green, okay, because you because you have Hayes already. Is yeah. that why? I guess team fit a little bit. Um, and just like they can definitely utilize, like use a scoring punch, right? Okay. Like I do, I do think Jalen Green fits the best for Detroit. Like he, like scoring is what they need. Mm. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, good, good stuff, good stuff, good stuff. Real quick on Jalen Suggs before we move to our next guy. What is your favorite team fit for him? Because I don't, I don't think you mentioned that before. I guess it seems yeah, like we I know think where he's the the best one is where he'll probably go is Toronto. I think he, um, with the assumption that Kyle Lowry probably is going to sign elsewhere. Um, I think he works very well, plays very well with Fred Van Fleet. Even if Kyle Lowry did resign, I think he, he could still fit in there. Um, can work off ball, can play one or the two, as I mentioned, defends. Um, and if you want to get a little bit more interesting other than Toronto, I think Golden State, uh, he would be a tremendous fit being like their guard coming in whenever Steph or Clay is off the court. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's just basically no way he gets down that far. There's no way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so unless someone's trading up. I, I don't know. You know, the thing is, I've heard the the Pascal Siakam to the Warriors thing being a possibility, something that could come up 
in conversation. Even with that trade, though, I don't think that would get the Warriors number four, right? Like, I don't think that would happen. I think the Warriors would be giving up seven and 14. And I, I don't think the Raptors are going to trade Siakam. Why would you, like, you draft a player like Siakam and hope you can develop him to be who he is. <laughs> yeah, to be you Siakam. Do, he's still young. Like, <laughs> yeah. he's still young. I know he's on his second contract now, but, like, he's still so young. He's someone you're going to want to develop around. Right. Yeah, you don't... Like, they're not... Toronto's not on full-on... Like, they're definitely rebuilding but they're not on like sell everything and build a house from scratch yeah you don't draft a guy like siakam and develop a guy like siakam to trade him and try to do it again that would yeah, be that like would you be can draft scotty barnes don't get me wrong i love scotty barnes oh, but we'll like... get into it okay good perfect all right so we finished tier one we finished tier one and it's time to move on because this is where it gets like ridiculous honestly and this is where if you go on the ringer or espn or Tankathon, or wherever you go to check out your mock drafts, Bleacher Report, CBS, doesn't matter. Wherever you go, this is where things can start to look very, very different. You're a company man, aren't you, Glenn? See, I'm not a company man anymore, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) I can can do whatever I want. But no, um, this is where it gets weird. This is where you can ask 10 different people and get 10 different tiers, right? So I don't know if you have a specific tier set up here or a couple guys you want to point to. So why don't you talk to me about whoever comes after the big four here because this is where it gets weird yeah i i have two i have my first tier is one through four then i have tier two is five and six then i got like a tier of seven death like the seven through the rest of the lottery basically um i know in the last week it's kind of the opposite of jalen green kaminga has been downward spiraling uh but i do have kaminga five still um uh, it is a tale of two tapes of he is a phenomenal forward, um, but has some really bad moments. But then if you watch him, he has some remarkable moments. Great ball. Like sometimes looks like he can ball hand tremendously, get to the basket, score on all three levels. And then sometimes you're like, why the hell did you just shoot that shot and airball it behind the backboard? Um, but I, I forget when I'm pretty sure I've read at some point that he started basketball like in his teens. So I think he just has so much room to grow. And like when he does look good, you're like, um, like he remind like, I don't want to say LeBron, just but, like, say it. He, oh, like, God, like the no, three level scoring that. that like he reminds you of like a high school LeBron, even though he's older than LeBron was. Right. Um, okay. That makes me feel better. Yeah. He reminds me of like a, somewhat of it was hard to get a perfect comp but like a siakam kind of jeremy grant now how he is now um and that's why i have him five um and then again scotty barnes might be one of my favorite players in the draft but similar to mobley he can fit on so many different teams and contribute but like you want to get him on a team that already has scores um already an established team um because that's not his cup of tea but like he can he can help any team, he but can again. do everything else. Absolutely. Wait, um, can I, can I add something on Kaminga here for a second? Yeah. Uh, he, like the LeBron thing, just to clear it up, not saying he's anything like him. I think he's like, if LeBron was drunk playing basketball, maybe like that's what that's <laughs> kinda, that like LeBron at age 16 drunk on the court, maybe John and Kaminga like makes incredible plays sometimes, but the feel for Kaminga is just like not there. And that's yeah. what like you alluded to before he has so much room to learn the game and grow with the game. So there's a lot of reason to still like him in that regard. But, you know, 
You're talking about Siakam. You're talking about Jeremy Grant. Guys who came into this league in later picks in the draft who were looked at as, pro- you know, maybe Jeremy Grant wasn't as much of a, yeah, he kind of was a project, but there wasn't many expectations on him. It was like, okay, this is what you're going to do. You're going to defend. You're yeah. going to rebound. You're going to rim he run a little bit. He wasn't even a 3 and D guy when he came out because he couldn't shoot that well. Exactly. So you're just going to do like three things. You're going to rebound. You're going to rim run a little bit, and you're going to defend your ass off. And then anything else we get from you is a positive. Kaminga, based off of how he was recruited and how he was brought into the G League Ignite team, looked at as a top five guy. He has, And Scotty Barnes is the same thing. I'm actually happy you put them in the both uh, in the same tier. These two guys would benefit so much by being the 18th pick in the draft, by being the 22nd pick in the draft, without the pressures of being the the next guys after a surefire four. You know what I mean? Like the guys who... I, it kind of does benefit them having those four potential number. Like, again, the first four could go number one in most drafts. Right. So it kind of helps them, like, being below four. Because oh, I feel like sure. top five is typically, like, where you have really lot, like, I know six and five, it's not that big of a gap, but like expectations but it is, are though. still different. Yeah. You're, you're, you're and this year, I think right. it's going to be a gap between four and the rest. Even whichever one of those guys would hypothetically go five, I think it won't be as much pressure. And I, I, um, I don't have Kaminga in my tier right after them. And that's, I think he's going to slip. I think he might be a, a slippery, slippery guy over here. He might, he might slide. It's only down. been the last week we've been hearing that. I, I, I agree, but I also, like, I kind of, five is also, that. I failed to mention it's because of his potential. Right. Like he is the probably out of the top six guys. He's the highest risk. I don't want to say highest reward just because there are some incredible guys ahead of him, but he's a super, he has the biggest gap between his floor and his ceiling. Um, because when he's engaged, he's also a good passer. Uh, when he's engaged, he's a good defender. He's super athletic, super long. Um, so if he can put it all together in the right scheme, I do think he actually could be a player that benefits from going to a, OKC and like has live, live just, with like, the mistakes. Look at uh, Poku, uh, right? Pokashevsky, like just live through all the mistakes. Time. Yeah. He needed playing time, and I think Kaminga could benefit in the same way. Like Kaminga, I know I saw some mock draft that had him going to the Warriors. I think that is the worst fit for him. Yeah, um, they need way too he just much needs right now. Playing time, NBA playing time. Um, like Jalen Green played USA basketball. He like at FIBA, like under eighteen. So it's like. He had a lot of high-end experience playing at a top high school before um, going to the Ignite. Like, Kaminga doesn't, didn't have all that um, before. So I, I think he just needs more time and just, like, reps in the league. And that's why I think, like, OKC would be a great fit. So we both talked uh, pre-pod, and I'll just, you know, I'll throw it out there for us, for us both now because we, we, I know we both agree here. We don't think Scotty Barnes on Orlando makes any sense. That sucks, actually. Like, I hate that so much for Scotty Barnes and for the Magic. It just doesn't make sense. They need scoring desperately, not a Swiss Army knife who can do everything else but score, right? So it's not the right fit, even though if you think of him as number five, that could be the spot. If you think of him, you know, Orlando has five and eight. At number eight, not a good fit for Scotty Barnes, not a good fit for the Magic. Kaminga, on the other hand, to the Magic, because they're not expecting to win tomorrow, he can go and try to learn, or not learn, try to better his scoring efficiency and his skill set, and he can grow into a type of player the Magic need. Barnes doesn't look like the guy who's going to project into a scorer at all, so Orlando's not the spot, right? So when you're thinking about these teams, Orlando, OKC, I'm taking Golden State out of it just because they're unique here. Sacramento at 9, Memphis at 10. 
teams that have talent, teams that just need to get so much better. How do you balance the Kamingas of the world who are raw and need time to develop versus someone like a Franz Wagner who's a sophomore who is very solid? He has great feel for the game. He also has good size and can shoot. He can probably contribute a decent bit early and has room to grow into a better player as well. So how do you balance being in that 5-10 to 10 range, taking a big swing versus taking a guy who you think will be a contributor? I just think there's such a gap between some of the teams there. Like I think OKC, the Magic are so like are such a step below the Kings, the Hornets, the Grizzlies. Like the Grizzlies are gonna the Grizzlies, Hornets, Kings, um, Pacers. They're all gonna want to find guys that can uh, play a role on their team. Where it's like the Magic, the Thunder, uh, even the Spurs a bit can kind of take chances on these high risk, high reward players that might be more flyer picks. Um, like Franz Wagner, for example, like I think would be a great fit for the Kings um, to kind of like, cause their defense is horrendous uh, and having more floor spacing. Um, I also thought um, he would be a great fit for like Golden State as yep, someone off I the agree. bench that can do three, uh, can score threes and play defense as well. Um, so I just think there's like a big difference between some of the teams really there that like, again, some of these high risk, high reward guys, uh, like I think the bottom feeders of uh, the magic, the thunder. Um, and that's what they kind of been doing because they have 45 million picks. Yeah. Right. So let's go to, let's put our, our Scotty Barnes agent hat on, say we're Scotty Barnes's agent. Where are we, you know, really trying to pull strings to get him to? Cause obviously, you know, Orlando could easily pick him at five. And we may sit here and say, damn, like that's not a great fit for Scotty Barnes because he doesn't give you what you don't have. He just gives you, he gives you a lot. He's not going to give you scoring and the magic is still going to suck basically, right? So where is the place Scotty Barnes's camp is saying, yo, we need to get him here. Where's the spot? Because it's getting um, tough. Because how far is he going to drop? And some of the teams that you might want him to go to, he might not make it. Maybe it is yeah, Sacramento. I don't, I don't think Scotty Barnes will drop. Like out of him and Kaminga, Kaminga is definitely the one that will drop. Um, like I, I think obviously as his agent, you have, you want him to go as high as possible. So like like Toronto and the Warriors, I know they don't have the biggest need at the position, but are both teams that could potentially uh, make a run at the playoffs either next year or in the coming years, and have really good player development camps. Um, I just think best fit wise for team needs is Sacramento Kings for Scotty Barnes, but I just don't think there's any chance that he's going to be there at nine. Yeah. There's like no chance, but can you imagine somebody with his defensive versatility playing next to Tyrese Halliburton and De'Aaron Fox? Now, I don't know if there's enough shooting I there. I knew you were going to say Halliburton's name before Fox, because that's your guy. Halliburton <laughs> is awesome. All right. That guy is sick. He's so good. Uh, so is Fox, obviously. Um, but that would be such a great fit. He's not going to get to nine now. He's just not. I mean, maybe he will. Who knows? Maybe someone will trade up. Um, I don't even, I honestly don't hate uh, Scotty Barnes to OKC because you start thinking about Shea Gilders Alexander and Scotty Barnes and that could work. That makes sense That's to his, me. his other fit. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people that haven't uh, followed the Thunder too well, Poku, uh, what's the Alexi? Oh, not Alexi. Ale- it's like Alexev. Alexei Pokazewski. There you go. I definitely butchered that, but uh, he's their seven-foot power forward who weighs like 150 pounds, wet and wearing boots. But 
uh, is an incredible scorer, offensive guy, but like no defense for the most part. Uh, and I think Scotty Barnes and him would just play off each other so well as two uh, big slash forwards that can bring up the ball and play make. And I love Shea. Shea is awesome. And Poku can shoot too. Yeah. And Scotty Barnes can't, but that's okay. Yeah. All right. Let's keep yeah. this thing moving because we're getting, we're getting to close to 45 minutes here. We got a bunch more guys to talk about. And if we thought it was getting, like we thought it was getting wonky after four, I really, the more I even look at this, the wonkier it feels here. So we started talking about Franz Wagner a little bit. Uh, and next in this grouping, you can talk about uh, James Booknight. You can talk about Josh Giddy. Then it starts getting real weird. You get that guy Sengun from Turkey, Moses Moody, Davion Sengun. Mitchell. Don't sleep on him. I'm not sleeping. I ain't sleeping. Uh, Davion Mitchell, you know, then Kispert, and it gets even weirder as you go on. So is is that generally kind of like your next tier of sorts? Or what, are you, what are you thinking about once you get past your next guys of Barnes and Kaminga? Because then you get to yeah. that Golden State pick, which is obviously interesting. I, I think everyone you mentioned are definitely in my next tier, uh, tier three for me. Um, I'm, I'm a UConn alum. Love UConn. It's great to see that their basketball team's heading in the right direction. Uh, I remember watching Book Night as senior in high school coming into UConn. Uh, like for for those who've never watched him play, he he's the real deal. Um, all bias aside, his ball handling, his ability to get to the bucket, I think are is the best in the draft. I feel so confident saying that. His hesitation game is insane. Um, his, his three pointers, I think he shot in the low thirties, which, but his shooting stroke looks good. And he was the only guy providing for UConn's offense. Um, and I thought he was going to be a lottery pick and now it's looking like he could be a top 10 pick. Um, but I think him to golden state would be a great fit, uh, scoring off the bench. Um, I'm kind of happy that people cooled on Davion Mitchell a little bit. I do think he's the best three and D guard is a, uh, Kyle Lowry, Drew Holiday, Marcus Smart-esque player. Um, and I think kind of the the 7 to 12 range, 13 range is, is probably where he belongs. Um, and and quickly to talk about uh, our friend Shengun, who you mentioned, he's a Turkish center. Um, for, for the listeners, definitely try to check out some of his highlights on YouTube. He has Incredible hands, soft touch, can pass. Uh, I know it's always going to be uh, mentioned as like some a white dude coming out of Europe of like, oh, is he Yoko, uh, Nikola Jokovic? Um, Who? But he, he he's definitely Jokovic. different. I would say, yeah, I, I don't know why I was struggling with that so much. Um, <laughs> but he, he reminds me more of uh, Nurkic or uh, now I'm just going with other European players, but like, uh, he could potentially turn into like a Vujovic type of guy who can uh, shoot away from the basket as well. Has a lot of potential and um, doesn't shoot much now, but like has a great free throw percentage and like he has good mechanics, uh, but can pass really well around the basket. And I think he's only 18 and one of the younger guys in the draft. Um, and Giddy from Australia, the six foot eight point guard. Uh, he's, Ben Simmons, but not as powerful as a driver or finisher, but like can actually somewhat shoot. He's not an incredible shooter, but he can somewhat shoot. He's not afraid to shoot. Yeah. And definitely not the same defensive player as Ben Simmons, but offensively, like he has, he's tall, long, and uh, can really um, pass and has fantastic vision. Um, Kispert, as you mentioned, Corey Kispert out of Gonzaga. I think he's one of the best shooters 
I wouldn't say he's a Joe Harris type. I'd say he's more of a Kevin Herter as someone who can do more than just shoot. Uh, he can get to the basket a little bit too. Uh, Moses Moody, the guard out of uh, Arkansas, is a, a tall three and D wing. Um, Jalen Johnson, the forward out of Duke, is kind of tough to project because he, for a, a power forward, averaged almost four assists and is great in transition, but his half court game, he, he just is like confused. He had, a, um, he had a weird year at Duke. And he only, he played like 10, and 12 left, games or yeah. something like that. And then uh, pulled out of Duke. Um, but definitely kind of reminds me of like an Aaron Gordon type of guy, mm. like freak athlete. Um, but yeah, I'd say those are that, like the second, most of the second tier guys for me, I probably missed one or two. Um but I, yeah. I, I think they're hammered third. on the head. Like James Booknight is going to provide some scoring. Davion Mitchell will for sure be a great three and D guard. Uh, I think that's your third tier just for reference. Cause I think just yes, to, to yes. clear that up. So a couple guys to talk about there. I want to talk about Booknight and obviously you have a different relationship with him because of your UConn ties and what you relayed is not inaccurate by any means. It's what all the draft Knicks are saying out there. Like this guy has legit shooting touch and he really improved his game from when he left UConn. He was on an island in UConn by himself trying to score for everybody. But he shot 29% from three last year. Now, I know apparently he's absolutely torching it in workouts, and he shot up the ranks and all this stuff. Does that not, like, put any caution into your mind there that he shot so inefficiently last year at UConn? Uh, uh I, like... I'm agreeing and disagreeing. I agree that workout shooting really doesn't mean jack shit. Like anyway, anyone can look good in a workout shooting. Um, but no, I, I do watch a fair amount of UConn games and like what you mentioned, he was put on an Island and that included shooting the ball. Like a lot of times he had to try to create for himself from the three point range and put up a shot, whether it was like shot, shot clock was expiring. Like their offense was not great. It was all built around him. Um, but when you like, if you watched every game, you wouldn't realize how inefficiently he shot because it didn't seem like he was just chucking up threes and missing them. It just was like, oh, another game of going like one for four or like one for five. But like, they were all good looks. His, again, his mechanics are very good. And I know like when it comes to, to scouting, like it's like free throw percentage and how your mechanics are typically pretty telltale signs of like whether you can develop as a three-point shooter. Um, and I think three-point shooting is something for the most part outside of Ben Simmons is something that people can typically develop when they're in the league, regardless of what position they are. Yeah. Even Scotty Barnes is not afraid to shoot in college, you know, like he'll shoot a couple, even if it's not pretty right now. So yeah, Ben Simmons is a very unique yeah. ca case in that regard. Let's talk about Sangoon for a minute. It almost sounds like his first name is our friend Alperen Sangoon. He yeah, yeah. mostly played back to the basket a lot in Turkey or at the elbows, whatever, if you watch his, his clips and stuff like that. And it might turn people off. Like you said, he has the mechanics for a shooting touch. And you have to think moving to the NBA with the spacing, with the encouragement for him to step out and shoot threes, that he can incorporate that into his game. But to give some perspective, like this dude was like legit getting buckets. If I'm not mistaken, he was the MVP. Yeah, the Turkish, the Turkish League, league. And it's not which is quite, a very, very good league. Right. It's not quite Luca being the MVP of uh, the Spanish League because that's, like, legit. That's the second-best league yeah. in the world. Uh, this is close. It's, like, a top-five league in the world, and he was the MVP at age 18. He is no joke, and he has the passing touch. I do like this guy 
a ferocious lot. on offensive boards too. Yeah, and the reminds only- me of Ennis Cantor in two K gets every rebound offensively <laughs> in two K <laughs> specifically. Now this yes. this has Kings written all over it, being international and all that. Uh, plus, you know, the Kings are known to being super analytically driven here. So I don't know if that works for Sangoon. Is there a place that you see him going that would be the biggest benefit to his game? Like, I know you mentioned yeah. Vucevic, the, the Magic are in that range to take a swing on him, maybe not at five, but perhaps at eight. What, what's your best fit for Sangoon? Yeah, there, there's definitely two teams that I think Sangoon would fit in uh, and develop the best. I think one, just like the Spurs, um, they're a team that has always developed international players at an incredibly uh, high level. Um, and I think their only center on the books now is uh, Jakob Pertl, who is not an offensive threat at all, so could fit in there. But uh, a team one spot ahead of them that really needs center help is the Charlotte Hornets. Um, I think imagine him and LaMelo passing between each other. and Gordon Hayward's a great, great cutter. Fit for them. Yeah. Um, so those are the two spots that I really like him, and I think it's not um, – it's not too rich saying he would go 11 or 12. I think top 10 now um, would be a little bit high for him. And he's one of those guys who really ranges as well. You can see him as high as five or six on a board, and you can see him as low as 16 on a board. So he's one of those dudes who has a range of where he could end up going, uh, as well as the next guy I want to bring up is Davion Mitchell. He was at points listed at as high as like number five on people's big boards. That was too rich for me. It was. I agree. It was too rich for me as well, and I hated it because he was. Su- he's such a likable player. He's the guy who yeah. you want on your team because of the grind, because of the shooting, because of the defense, all that stuff. But then you really think about him as an NBA prospect, not a guy in his uh, second or third year actually in college, getting more comfortable with the college game, more comfortable against now guys two years younger than him. What does he project like into the NBA? And I think he, like Scotty Barnes and Kaminga, is now getting the benefit of getting pushed down the board a little bit. Because if you get picked five and you just won a national championship and all of a sudden, you know, you're not getting on the court or when you're on the court, it's not pretty right away, that can be a hard thing to come back from. Is there bust potential out of Davion Mitchell? I hate to even bring it up because of how likable a player he is and his style and his grit and all that. But with his size just being 6'1", not being, you know, you mentioned Marcus Smart and Drew Holiday. Those guys are bigger, they're stronger, and they're getting into people at a different level. Like Drew Holiday can guard wings, right? Davion Mitchell is a is a beefy dude. I know he's strong, uh, but like he's 6'1". That's different, is it not? So, so is there? Do, do you see no bust potential out of for Mitchell? Because I, I would like to hear that. I'm just trying to. I, I really don't. Okay. Um. I think, again, if he goes in the top 10, there's going to be expectations of he's going to be something that he isn't. Um, so I guess I still wouldn't call that a bust. Um, I think that's why like 10 to 13 in that range, 10 to 15 is probably the best range for him. But I, I really feel comfortable that he will be uh, at minimum a fantastic off-the-bench defender uh, for wings uh, that I think potentially could guard one through three, depending on the size of the three, um, but with teams playing small ball, I, I think that's not something that should be off the table. Okay. I like, I like it. Cause I just, I want to be cautious with a guy like him because there's real, real statistics and analytics that go against picking people, especially in the top 15 in the lottery range who are 
older than 21, who are 22, 23, 24 years old. Even Kispert, who played all the way through his senior year. Another guy I'm sure we'll mention a little bit, Chris Duarte. The, the, the outlook on guys like Kispert and Duarte are very different. For a minute there, people were like, yo, Mitchell, top five, top six, top seven, you know, starting point guard, all-star point guard. That's what you think about. I don't think he'll be a, a starting point guard. Right, and then, and then and that's the point. I think there's you're less not picking, risk, but you're also You're not picking a backup point guard at seven. You're just not doing it. Unless you're the Knicks and you take Frank Nilakina, and then you get a backup backup point guard. Shout out to my guy, Frankie. Um, anyways, so I'm happy you don't think he's going to be a bust. But I, I guess it, it's similar to Marcus Smart in the sense of, like, Marcus Smart might be a starting point guard this year, but, like, it was kind of because Kyrie left, and then... He's he best suited playing little, yeah. 30 minutes off the bench, or 28 minutes off the bench. Yeah, that's and that might role. be Davion Mitchell's role, too. And maybe one year he ends up starting due to injury or what have you, but I, I think you know what you're going to get with him. Right, or or the uh, like the Patrick Beverly style starter who you're, yeah. he's not given, and I, you know I'm out on Patrick Beverly. That guy pissed me off for the past three years now. He he doesn't do enough on offense for me. But Davion Mitchell could possibly do more um, if he's a starting point guard. You're assuming maybe he's on a team that has that prototype wing playmaking scoring wing that we're talking about. So some of that burden is not on his shoulders. All right. Quick reset here. Quick reset. Subway Sports Talk, Pete Kennedy, Glenn Johnson. We're coming up on an hour. We've talked about a dozen guys already, and we have about, I don't know, six more guys to talk about at least here because we're, we're getting to the end of the lottery, and then we're obviously going to talk about the New York Knicks. Of course, we're going to talk about the New York Knicks who pick at 19 and 21 right outside the lottery. But basically, from this point on, depending on who you are, where you are, who you work for, what big board you follow, you might think somebody's 13th, they may be 23rd. You might think someone's 14th, they could be 28th. That's how wild this thing gets in the middle area of the first round here. So who rounds out your lottery of who we haven't talked about yet? So just to recap, we've talked about no particular order, but a general order here. Cunningham, Mobley, Green, Suggs, Barnes, Kaminga, Booknight, Franz Wagner, Alfarin Sengun. We only talked about Giddy for a second, but that's okay. Um, and we didn't really talk about Moses Moody that much and Davion Mitchell, Jalen Johnson a little bit as well. So that's like 13 guys right there. If you want to talk about Giddy for a second, you can. But who's next on your uh, your general board here? And also mentioned, uh, we talked about Corey Kispert as well. Yep. Uh, I think the last one you mentioned definitely, uh, I think surefire, surefire shooters uh, are always a, uh, high commodity. Um, and as I mentioned, Kispert can do more than just shoot. Uh, again, not a Joe Harris, more of a Kevin Herter. If you watch both of them play, like Kevin Herter can get to the basket cut. Um, I think you're underrating Joe Harris's cut game, but I'll allow it. He had a bad playoffs. We'll, we'll allow it. It was also different roles that they had. Um, so Kispert's definitely mine. Uh, Chris, Chris Duarte. He's a shooting guard out of Oregon. Who's definitely been kind of going up, uh, draft boards in the last couple weeks uh he is 24 years old um but is a knockdown shooter uh three and d wing um i think he he it wouldn't be unlikely for him to go uh in the lottery um and then a guy that i i hate sometimes when i watch tape because then like sometimes i fall in love with people um a little bit too much, but a guy that I, I really liked after watching his tape is Trey Murphy Jr. out of uh, UVA. Um, he's six nine. He's listed as a shooting guard, but definitely can probably play two through four. Uh, 
for if he puts on more weight, but it's a phenomenal three and D uh, wing. His great recovery ability on defense, long arms. Uh, someone I really like. Um, I have him just in my personal little mock going to the Wizards at 15. So being the last lottery pick. Um, I think one other name just to mention too is Usman Garuba. He's the power forward out of Spain. He's another international player um, who has been kind of projected anywhere from the early teens to the mid twenties um, has kind of been mentioned as one of the top defenders in the draft, but is currently paying playing with Spain in the Olympics. So uh, I, I think personally he's going to fall just because a lot of NBA teams won't get much time to uh, do interviews and evaluate him. Um, since again, he is playing for Spain. Um, but that kind of rounds out my, my lottery. Yeah. I want to talk about Trey Murphy here for a second. Cause I agree with you. Uh, he's the type of guy who, if you're watching his tape and this is something I should have mentioned earlier, you and I, I think do a good job of not watching highlights, right? We don't watch the yeah. super cut of the highlights. Cause that doesn't tell you the whole story, right? If you watch the super cut highlights of, you know, somebody who's projected to be, Pete, I've seen your supercut highlights from uh, the intramural league. And you could be a you could be a lottery pick. Yeah, exactly. You know, if you like the guy who I'm, I'm probably bring up at some point, if not tonight, um, I'll bring him up on on Thursday's episode. Uh, Ayo Dusumna for uh, Dusumnu. How do you say his last name? Ayo 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 from Illinois. Do you know how to say his yeah. name? Whatever. No. Ayo. I always call him Ayo. I think that's right. It might not be. His, I don't know how his, I say it in my head, but I could to- totally agree. One hundred percent. Like his highlights are really awesome. And I actually think he's underrated in this draft because he does a lot of things or a guy like Cam Thomas, who we'll talk about maybe in a minute as well. If you watch that guy's highlights, you'll be like, he's an absolute bucket. He is James book night. He might even be a better shooter than James book night, but that's all he does. Like he only can score. He does nothing else. Trey Murphy, yeah. like you mentioned, has this uh, very uncanny ability to slide and move on defense, even though he's a little bit undersized, he's a skinny, skinny guy right now. Um, but he can move on defense and he has a place in the league. Like, you know, when you look at Trey Murphy, that he's going to have a 10 year career because of what his skills are and how transferable they are to pretty much any single team in the league. Like he's not Mikhail Bridges. Everybody wants to be like, Oh, Mikhail Bridges, prototypical three and D like, that's not fair to Mikhail Bridges. He's way more than that. He does a lot of things on the court now. So it would be a disservice to take any wing Chris Duarte or 3 and D guy, Trey Murphy, and be like, yeah, he's like Mikel Bridges. That's not fair. But he has transferable skills that seem to be a fit on any team he goes to. So when you think about these teams in this range, now we're talking about the Wizards, the Pelicans, the Knicks, the Hawks, and and teams of that nature who want to get better, want to get better quick. Do you lean towards the Trey Murphy, whose uh, ceiling isn't very high but has a solid floor, or do you maybe start thinking about a guy like Zaire Williams who had a really crappy year at Stanford? Just be honest, right? He had a tough year personally. Yep. He had family members pass away from COVID. He, being at Stanford, didn't get one home game in his freshman year. He was living in a hotel. So there's definitely some tough luck that he had in his first year at Stanford. But before his freshman year at Stanford, he was highly touted, highly skilled, yep. and is now looked at as a big swing prospect in this draft when you're in this range of 15 to 22 do you lean one way or the other or is it just really based on team I imagine yeah definitely based on team but there are a couple teams that have two picks uh I'm pretty sure uh the New York Knicks have two so hey you, 
if uh, you can't decide between, then you could go with both. Uh, I know there's obviously the, the rumors that the Knicks want to trade up, but um, yeah, I, I think it really depends on the team. But uh, that is one thing that I mentioned at the top that makes this draft so unique. Zaire Williams with Brandon Boston were some of these rangy wings that people thought were going to be surefire top five picks. Um, so they're, they're a little bit different than, than most years. Obviously, you have your people who fall in the draft, but I, I do think this year is unique in that sense. Yeah, and that's really the way to go, right? Like a guy like Kai Jones, to me, who you haven't brought up yet, he's a center out of Texas. He's big. He has some crazy highlights, but he's not very sound. He's not projected to be anything more than, you know, a rim runner, rebounder, right? And maybe he could become a good uh, rim protector, but he's not particularly that yet. He can shoot, but yeah, he's not a great rim protector. Right, so like that guy... What, what are you even getting out of taking a swing like that? Like, do you do you rather take a center like that where you kind of know maybe what his ceiling is going to be or some wing like Zaire Williams? Or even, you know, Jalen Johnson's a guy who can fall down into this range, into the 20s, into the late teens, right? Those guys have higher upside but can also fall on their face and be bad in the league. Yeah, I do think, though, that it's easier for uh... – for a big to contribute when they don't develop as they should uh, for wings. I feel like it's like, you got to develop or you're out of the league. But like, um, I think a comp for me for, uh, we haven't brought up his name, but like Isaiah Jackson, the bouncy center out of Kentucky is like, yeah, like there's a pretty good chance. He just turns into a Nerlens Noel, Willie Colley Stein two former Kentucky players as well. But like, that's okay. You can contribute in the league is that, but with, Wings, sometimes it's like you either contribute or you don't. It's like you have to be able to score, shoot, or be a phenomenal defender. Um, or No, you got to do more than just one of those things. Right. Uh, when, when you're one of these backup centers or role-playing centers, you can be a defense and rebounding guy uh, and be fine. But like for a wing, it's like you got to do more than just one skill well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think that brings us to a great spot here. We've talked about a bunch of guys. I know you are a Boston guy, a Massachusetts guy. You are a mass hole. Yes, sir. Um, so your Celtics don't have a pick. It's going to Oklahoma City uh, with all the other picks in the world, right? So 16 would have been a great pick for you guys. <laughs> you could have got somebody good, but you're not there. So I don't think, do you even have any notes? Do you have anything to say about Boston? I just want to give you a chance no. to sound off about your Celtics here for a second. Uh, I forget what pick we have, but it's like midway through the second round. Um, 45. I think I saw, I saw a bleacher report came out today with a, um, like potential trades that could come up. And it was like the Celtics packaging their 45th overall pick in Tristan Thompson as a salary dump. And I was like, yes, I would love for them to do that. Um, but well, What's that going to get you to 36? Instead of forty five? No, no, no. It's trading the pick away with tr- so so. Oh, just to get Tristan rid of, Thompson. just to get yeah. rid of it. Yeah, yeah, that's a great move. Do it. And not even like a huge knock on Tristan Thompson. I just like we don't need him. We have a couple bigs, especially with Al Horford coming back. So, um, I would be f- totally fine with that. All right, so we'll take that as the Boston Celtics minute on Subway Sports Talk here. And last but not least, let's talk about the Knicks. I know you mentioned a little bit of what they could do before. Do you have any particular names in mind? Uh, when you think about the New York Knicks right now, because I know, uh, I know you you know your audience here, so I know you did a little prep to think about. Yeah, no, Knicks. absolutely. Uh, and I will caveat that uh, some of the names I'm men- mentioning are not saying that they should draft both of them. I'm more or less thinking of like people they should just target in general. Um, but I definitely think like 
the Knicks have a lot of uh, flexibility, just roster. They have a lot of free agents, um, so they could do go a lot of different directions. But I think having a uh, targeting a point guard with one of their two big two picks is uh, something they should try to do. Uh, I love Sharif Cooper for them. Um, for people, the audience who who aren't familiar with him, he's a highly touted. Um, recruit that went to Auburn. Um, he missed uh, the first half or third of the season, uh, but finished the year with seven assists per game and 20 points per game. Um, and is just uh, like a floor general, like he just, his vision and craftiness is incredible. Uh, the biggest knock on him is his shooting ability. Um, he, he's more of a, a Rondo S type of player at the moment. Um, but definitely that like they're hoping that his, his shooting can develop. And it was a big concern that he was going to actually come in at six feet, six foot one, which he was listed at. And actually at the combine came at six, three and a half, which for his permanent record on stat sheets now will say that he was six foot four, uh, which teams were definitely really surprised by. So I think he would be a great pick for the Knicks, but then also Jared Butler, uh, the point guard out of Butler Baylor. Wow. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Butler from Baylor. Um, uh, similar, like similar, but different than Davion Mitchell, but still a, a point guard that can shoot the ball really well from three, uh, create separation is just a hardworking player, good on defense as well. Um, I think Jared Butler is going to be a highly, uh, coveted player, uh, in the 20, early twenties of the draft. I think the Hawks would also love to get their hands on him. Um, so I think if they do go point guard, uh, one of those two players, Shreve Cooper or Jared Butler, uh, but they can't go wrong if Chris Duarte, the, the shooting guard that we mentioned out of Oregon earlier, if he's available, um, also someone that they could target who would provide some uh, an instant punch uh, from the shooting perspective. I think uh, I think Duarte is not going to be there, unfortunately. I think he's going to go. Yeah, I, I do agree yeah. with, with your assessment there. The one but if thing, they do trade up or what? Who's... Oh, of course. Well, you know, the thing is, though, and this is going to be funny because Duarte is a guy who I definitely like a lot and he helps pretty much every team he goes to. I think if the Knicks were to trade up, I hope they would trade up way ahead of where he would go, but I don't think they're going to get him where they're at now. So I feel like Duarte is like yeah. out of the Knicks reach in a weird way. I will say this on I the Sharif Cooper that. front. I'm kind, I'm good on the Knicks. I don't, I don't particularly like Sharif Cooper that much as a lead point guard. And like you can argue like, yeah, you're drafting him at 21. You're not expecting a starting caliber point guard. Sure. But as the Knicks are right now, we're not in the business of backup point guards. We're fine with backup point guards. We can do that. Now, if you're telling me the Knicks are going to get Kyle Lowry in free agency here, or they're going to get some other, uh, you know, they're going to somehow get Lonzo Ball from restricted free agency, then sure, maybe you, I can make an argument for Sharif Cooper to, to be that awesome backup point guard. But if we're talking, I do think out of all the guards in that range, that he is one that could potentially become uh, a starting and strong starting point guard. You do. So I, I just think the shooting scares me so much. And think, okay, yeah, it's the risk reward there. I'm not saying it's surefire right. by any means, but like, I think Jared Butler, for example, is going to be a backup point guard. Right. Like he's he's going to be like a George Hill. His, uh, his, and even well, with what George, we mentioned with George Hill was Davion a starter Mitchell. for a long time. Yeah, but, but even yes. with. But are you super happy if George Hill is your starting point guard? Point taken, point taken. So but I, I do think Sharif Cooper does have the potential to be one of the best point guards after Jalen Suggs, Cade Cunningham in this draft, potentially. 
potentially. Right. Th- and then that's very and if fair. If you draft him in the 20 range, if that's even a potential, like that, that's great. The the playmaking is so legit for Sharif Cooper. I don't think I don't think I would be upset with it. It's just really not the pick I'm looking for. I actually I think I would prefer Jared Butler. And uh, this might be crazy, but I I kind of like Trey Mann a little bit there too. I know it's a probably a little bit the high Knicks for fans a, a are lot. Really into Trey Mann for some reason. I don't I don't really get it. I mean the did, guy did the a guy, Knicks commentator say that he 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 would be a good fit or something? I haven't I haven't heard that in particular. I just think the guy shot forty percent from three and over eighty percent from the free throw line, and this team was desperate for floor spacing and shooting, like desperate. Yeah, and, I watched and, some of his tape today, and I just. Uh, I didn't love it. I, I, I hear that. And the reason why I, th- I say for the Knicks here is because you think about R.J. Barrett and you think about Julius Randle and even Derrick Rose for that matter and how much they can do in regards to setting up the offense. I think you get to take a little bit of that off of Trey Mann and he can become more of a scoring point guard and that's kind of why I like him in, in that spot a little bit more. Whereas Sharif Cooper, like he's an awesome passer and playmaker in that regard, but are we going to even want to give him the keys because he kind of needs the keys in that, in that sense to run the offense and get those amazing assist statistics that he, you know, racked up in Auburn. Is he going to earn the right to run an offense? And that's what I worry about with Sharif Cooper and he, you know, Alfred plate Payton. Uh, it's not a fair comparison because of where Alfred Payton's at in his career right now, but that dude was a top 10 pick, right? Alfred Payton. Lottery. Pick he was, he was definitely a lottery pick. Yeah. I, I think he was top 10. If not, he was right around there. He, he's a facilitator. He can pass. He was getting into the lane. But guess what? When he couldn't shoot and when he couldn't create offense, all that other stuff that he did that was positive just didn't really matter. And that's what I worry about with Sharif Cooper, that, yes, these assist numbers were so great and the playmaking looked so good in college, but if he can't do the other scoring parts of offense, I don't think the rest of it gets unlocked, and that's what I worry about. A thing that I worry about, though, is there are so many college players that – are dominant scorers and just like, it's just their, it's their main thing. And it just doesn't translate to the NBA and Mm. then they have nothing. Right. That's true. Like there's so many, like every college team has their elite score that you watch when they're in college. You're like, this dude's incredible, but like they don't have other skills that translate to the NBA. Um, So that's just my concern. When I watch this tape, like when he does get separation, like I feel like, everything I saw was like, why did the, like, I don't get how you got the separation. It, not in the sense of like, it was crazy good, but just like, what was the defender doing? Mm. Like, no, I, I wasn't that impressed with it. Um, but who knows? I've been wrong before. And now that I think about it, actually, cause you mentioned our Knicks writers talking about Trey Mann. No, now that I really think about it, they've been talking about Sharif Cooper, that he's been linked to the Knicks that the Knicks like him a lot. So maybe that's why I'm automatically oh, I think on telling your myself last podcast. Uh, one of one of your co-hosts. Oh, Alec did. Trade. Yeah, Alec okay. did. I, I, knew I hate I agreeing with Alec. Somewhere. Damn it! I hate agreeing with that guy. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> no I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But uh, now they've actually been linking to themselves to Sharif Cooper. And that one one last point here, then we'll say goodbye. To to the point you just made about people in college who are good scorers, and that's kind of it, and how worrisome they can be as. NBA prospects. I couldn't agree more because I've heard Jordan Clarkson comped to like three different dudes in the first round here. Cam Thomas, who was the other one from earlier? Uh, Book Book Knight. And to me, like that's not a positive comp. Despite what Jordan Clarkson has now become, 
in the league, which was the sixth man of the year, a spark plug off the bench, and all this stuff. Until you have a Jordan Clarkson on your team or until you're absolutely desperate for scoring off the bench, like, you don't really want a Jordan Clarkson on your team. Is that fair to say? Because, like, he's not passing. He's not getting other people involved. He's there to do one thing and one thing only and get buckets, which is important for sure. But unless you become that elite level off the bench scorer, what you're the just some would love. You're just some guy who can shoot sometimes. Like it's not yeah. that impressive. It's not that good. And he's he's not even an elite shooter by any means. Um, Who, who's that? It is kind of Jordan Clarkson. Right. Well, he um, yeah. it is interesting. Like Lakers Jordan Clarkson was so different. Like Lakers Jordan Clarkson, you truly thought was like a combo guard of like he does pass and stuff, and he does all these different things. And now like he I has gotten better, but like in the sense of now he is just like a pure scorer and that's it. Yeah. Just ready to rip. It's very weird. Like the Lakers, Jordan Clarkson didn't have any tattoos. Tattooed (laughs) Jordan Clarkson's like, it's my ball. (laughs) (laughs) He went to Cleveland and was like, fuck this. I'm taking all the shots. (laughs) Oh guys. You know, it goes back to the whole idea too. Even with the six man award, I was in the camp that Joe Ingles should have won that award. Because you can argue that Jordan Clarkson's statistics added to more, you know, whatever, analytical points of winning games if you want. But I can sit here and argue that Joe Ingles meant more to that team every single game, every single night in, night out, because of what he did to set up the offense, to do all the things that Joe Ingles does. So, yeah, that's it. I don't know. I don't really have much else to add here. Uh, Maybe you'll come back, I think, again, maybe, right? Perhaps Wednesday night Uh, or Thursday night. Because then we can get into the nitty-gritty of, you know, more rumors and free agency and trades and, you know, actual where this thing is going to break down and get more into the, into the dirt. And we didn't even discuss really the, the Memphis trade uh, with new Orleans today, but we can definitely get into that later in the week. Yeah. In short, I'll say that it looks like it's an okay trade for new Orleans, but it's really just trying to hide an error that they already made. Kind of. You know what I mean? Oh, in signing Stephen or yeah. Stephen Adams. Yeah. Yeah, they're just trying to clear cap space. All right. So we'll we'll see. We'll talk about that. Is there any other guys at all that you just want to use as your last words? Like some random guy in the second round who you for some reason love. Like, is there anybody like that in this draft that you just want to say their name out loud right now? Um going back a little bit of these, like again, this year was supposed to be incredible because you had like the top 10 college recruits were like also supposed to be surefire top 10 uh, draft picks. And I think those guys, like they had a really weird freshman years and they could still sneakily be uh, super high potential. So we mentioned Zaire Williams already, Brandon Boston, Josh Christopher out of Arizona state. Um, Also rest in peace, Terrence Clark. He was Mm. one of those guys too out of Kentucky who passed away a couple months ago also a Boston guy. Um, so I think those guys have the potential to be sleepers that could develop if they are in the right system. Um, Texas also has three power forward centers that are super bouncy. Kai Jones, Greg Browns, uh, Jericho Sims. That was the guy who hit his head on the rim when he was dunking. Mm. Um, but one that I'm kind of stealing a little bit is um, Josh Primo out of Alabama. Um, he's the youngest player in the draft. He's a guard. Um, I think he's a sleeper to look at of someone who might sneak into the first round that a lot of people haven't been hearing his name. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think there's some second round sleeper. I think Luca Garza will have an NBA career, mm. uh, 
again, it's going to be a bench big man role, but I do think he'll, he'll be able to make it a little bit. Um, Quinn and Grimes out of Houston mm. is a name to watch the, the guard. Uh, he started off at Kansas and he's truly developed into an incredible score at all three levels. Um, and he's a big guard too. Um, so he's a name to, to listen to at the end of the first round. Good stuff. That's fantastic. One guy who I will admit I have not watched yet, but I just heard John Hollinger on with Chad Ford on their po- on uh, Chad Ford's podcast, and he was going through all these, quote, late risers, which included Primo, Josh Christopher, BJ mm-hmm. Boston, whatever, all these guys you kind of just mentioned, actually. And uh, Josh Hollinger kind of just said no to all of them, which was hilarious. JT Thor is another guy who came up in that conversation. He is one of the biggest wingspans in the draft. Yeah. I was about to mention him too, actually. And Hollinger was just like, nah, you know what? If you're talking about them in 25 to 35, sure. Let's let it ride. Let's take a swing. But if we're talking about anything higher than that, he's like, I'm good. But then he said about yeah. this one guy who I admittedly have not watched yet, but by uh, Wednesday's episode, Thursday's episode, I will. It's Miles McBride from West Virginia. Hollinger, who I, I trust his, his process in the draft uh, regards. He likes Miles McBride as a sleeper guard in the second round. So what I'm going to do is watch some of his tape and see if I agree. And that's my Who te- does Pete Kennedy like, teaser. though? I, like, oh, you does- know what's funny, dude? I, I don't have a guy in this draft. I really, really don't. Um, I would say it's Suggs because I love Suggs and Cade, but that's like you can't You're just say. You're taking Kyle's guy now. No, no. I just I, – Suggs and Cade are just – off the charts to me. I really wanted to like fall in love with Jalen green, but I didn't fall in love with him. I just really liked him. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And I think, I think if I watch a couple more Josh Giddy tapes, I'll, he'll become my guy uh, perhaps, but I like him I, a lot. Dude, I don't have a Halliburton. I'll tell you that much. I do. I do not have a Tyrese Halliburton in this draft. There's no one I'm screaming for when he starts falling. Not yet. No one yet. Maybe by Thursday, I'll have someone I'm screaming for. Um, I do love IO from Illinois just as a college player. I gotta watch a little more to see if I think he could translate, but uh, I'm not I'm not staking my whole claim into anybody like I did with Tyrese Halliburton last year. There's just not somebody who I like that much, and that's what's weird about this draft because it's looked at as this special draft right now and all this stuff. I don't feel that that same energy out of this draft um, once you get past the top four. I really don't. Yeah, exactly. The guys I really like are like already ranked really high. So right, it's like, like it's not nothing fun. special. I can't be like, oh, Cade Cunningham's my guy. Like, oh, uh, real cool pick, Pete. You know, so give me, give like, me. I, I will <laughs> say, if I had to pick, like one, like I love, like Scotty Barnes. Mm. I love not his. Not saying field. that he's going to be the best, but I just like like his all around game. Bleacher Report just came out with like a little back story on him today and like he's just like a fun guy like loves life every time he like runs into a teammate or coach in this like video he's always like going up giving them like a big hug he's just always smiling uh and like you kind of see it in his play style on the court so if i had to pick one i love him a lot too because he seems like he could be happy draymond green <laughs> like happy draymond green who can score yeah not pissed off guy who can actually put the ball in the hoop a little bit more Dr- draymond green but probably not you know, as insane as a defender because Draymond Green is, is legendary. I'm telling you, give me give me like four more YouTube videos of Josh Gideon. He'll become my guy by Thursday. There was the funniest thing too, actually. I know we're close on time, but he was doing like an interview with uh, like some American reporters and the reporter who was virtual didn't have his mic off and was like, did you just poop? And he's like, 
what? And then like, the guy's like, I thought I was on mute. That was to my one-year-old child. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. I did not see that. I got to check that out. Uh, This was good though, man. This was awesome. How did it feel for your first ever uh, podcast appearance? Is your first podcast? No, no, you've done a podcast before. Technically work podcast. Count it. You got interviewed for your job. No, does that that not count? Sure. It wasn't Um, for public consumption. That wasn't a podcast either. No, first podcast experience is great. Um, Pete Kennedy, do you have uh, any final words for us? This can be anything. It could be draft related. It could be personal life. Any shout outs you want to give to anyone? Uh, take it home for us. Yes, I do. I have I have something because in this wild world we're in right now of sports where the NBA finals ended and like two weeks later we have the NBA draft, which is just, it's too quick of a turnaround for my brain. We also have football like very close in the future. Plus, like I'm trying to watch the Mets like most nights still too. Um I'm getting very excited for football. That's number one. So that's where I'm going here. It starts what, this week? Yes. Uh, I am already, and I've been saying this on the pod, I'm going to say it again until I'm proven correct. I am so jealous that the Jets got Elijah Moore and the Giants did not take him with their pick. And that's where I'm staking my claim right now. I'm very sad about that, but I'm excited for the Jets fans. I think he's fantastic. And uh, I am getting extremely Josh Giddy. For football season as well. Um, you did there. I just, I just did it. He's my guy. I'm giddy for giddy. I can't believe I haven't said that yet on this podcast. That's the biggest shock. Um, and I'm just saying this. Daniel Jones, I don't feel good about it. Don't feel good about it, Glenn. Would you rather have Daniel Jones or Mac Jones? I plead the fifth. <laughs> It depends. Like on the Giants, I no. I'm good. On, I'm also I'm okay on Mac Jones. I'm good without him too. I don't know who I want to be the Giants quarterback, but I don't. I just can't. I'm trying to convince myself, Glenn, to to say what I said last year that Daniel Jones is going to take a big stride forward and and figure it out. And he just, I just don't feel it. I don't feel it in my heart. It would be a lie if I said it out loud. That's where I'm at right now with football. Yep. How do you feel, Patriots playoffs this year? Um, I wouldn't be shocked. Okay. So, you know, a little optimism for you a little bit. Yeah. I think the dolphins take a little bit of a step back okay. not because of anything they're doing wrong, but just, uh, uh, like I think the Pats will certainly be better. They the Jets had won't. no cap space last year. They, they have, they had, I think one of the most amount of players opt out with COVID the most, um, their defense will, will, will certainly be back. Um, so yeah. Uh, so that that's good, and I think uh, the Jets won't suck as much because they don't have Adam Gase anymore. Uh, teaser for last words as well. In two weeks, right? No, the week of August sixteenth, whenever that is. Maybe that's three weeks from now. Uh, planning on a quarterback ranking podcast, quarterback tiers, maybe perhaps. I'm just workshopping it. Look out for it. Uh, that's all we got. Subway Sports Talk. This has been a great episode. We'll be back with more draft talk on Thursday, the day of the draft. Glenn Johnson's inaugural debut on Subway Sports Talk. We'll have to have him on again. Glenn, if you like him, follow him on the gram. At Glenn, that's G-L-Y-N-N, Glenn John 99 on IG. Were you born in 99? No, you weren't. Nah. The hell? Just, it's the highest number before 100. It's like J.J. Watt. Not for J.J. Watt, but it's like, just pick a high number. Count it. Anyway, Subway Sports Talk, thank you all for listening so much. Send us your draft thoughts. We'll be interacting on the gram at Subway Sports Talk and at Twitter at Subway Sports Talk, TLK. We're excited, baby. NBA draft is upon us. We're back again on Thursday. Cheers. Cheers.